watched how traditional distribution was handling the MSP market and it needed a refresh and it could be done so much better. And and really, um, what's really gratifying to me at this point is that, you know, five years ago, we were struggling with this business. It was really difficult because people didn't really understand the concept. This goes back to your idea that, you know, that we're trying to solve for a problem that people didn't know they had. And I was, I had a few people that were getting it, but all of a sudden in the last two years in particular, everybody sees sort of the wisdom of this. And it's very, you know, I feel very vindicated. I think I've gotten mellower. I don't think I've changed my style much. I constantly tell my senior leadership, you know, try to do less and think more. I go into a situation um, far less confident about what I know than I used to. I truly go in with the attitude of learning what other people are thinking. Welcome to the Proco 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting Proco 360 because I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs and leaders and sharing my conversations with them with you. My guests have figured out how to build very successful businesses while being collaborative, enjoying all that Colorado has to offer, and doing that with other talent people who share their values. This episode is with John Street, founder and CEO of PAX8, an Inc. 500 fastest growing company that recently raised $96 million in equity capital to fund its continued growth in the cloud computing market. And that's a market predicted to grow 35% in 2021 alone. PAX8 empowers managed service providers to buy, sell, and manage cloud services for their customers. PAX8 does all this while winning a Best Place to Work award. There's a ton to talk about. So, John, glad you could join me and Proco 360 listeners via Zoom. Thanks for having me, Dave. Good to see you. Well, thanks. You know, I worked for John for like a day and a half a million years ago. So this is like a weird reunion. So uh, glad to be doing it. And and John, let's start with an overview of PAX8. I mean, what's the basic problem you wanted to solve? So what we saw was this, this issue where MSPs, these, these trusted advisors, especially at the low end of the market, there was there were a couple of things that we could solve in this in this burgeoning supply chain. And we we also went into it, you know, fairly mercenary in the sense that we knew it was an exploding market and there was room for a new entrant in the market. And, and just to clarify, to interrupt and clarify, MSPs, like if, if a small business has a website and they want someone to host it and to manage that for them, they didn't want to have it in a locker in, in their storage locker, they would use an MSP. And of course, that's now pretty ubiquitous. Is, am I on the right track? Right. That's yeah. right. And, and really the way to think about it is, let's just use a specific example. I run a 30-person law firm. And the cost to get a proficient IT guy to run all of my systems would probably be in the sixty to eighty thousand dollars per year price range. Okay, yep. to have an internal person, and for for a thirty person law firm, not really necessary to have somebody dedicated. So the fact is, um, these guys outsource to small outsourced. That's their IT department. Yep, and they rely on these guys and and. These MSPs, there's there's tens of thousands of them in the U.S. They provide a very vital service to to small business. 
Our whole business is about making it simple for the MSP to procure and deploy product, okay? Because they have to provide this to their clients. And product meaning and security really, products, communications products, those kinds of things. Ba- backup products, productivity yeah. products, all, all the things that have to things. plug in so that they can serve the needs of like that, you know, of a small business. That's right. And so we, I, you know, as an early SaaS provider, software as a service, we know that the, the, the new delivery method coming forward, and this is the 2011-12 timeframe, was going to be completely cloud-oriented. You know, we, we lived it. So we knew that, that the world was in, in the middle of this uh, transition. And this is when you ask me, did the world know they had a pain? I, we knew that they, they, not everybody at this point, even now, not everybody's fully adopted the cloud, but in another 10 years, yeah. people will wonder why they didn't. What you're unlocking, I want to talk a little bit about in this notion of a wingman. But before I went, before I go into that, I want to ask you, where does the name PAX 8 come from? Because oh, I, I did a little research. I have a, I, I have a whole slide on that, Dave. Well, it's, because it's, it's like gene. I looked it up. It's like genes that are important to tissues and organs. So is there a 30-second story about that? There is. And, um, and, and I, I actually, I get asked this question quite often. Of course. And, 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 and the upshot of it is this, it, it, you know, I, I have little rules for naming things and you're right. It, it, it is a biotech kind of a, um, if you look it up in, in, and Google it as, as you did, it comes up as a, as a gene sequence or something. I, I don't even really yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, we figured that it wasn't very widely associated with that. And, and so here's, here's the reason, okay? There, we have, as it turns out, we have eight reasons hmm. for, for um, uh, naming it this. And I would highly, um, one of them I'll get, go into a little deeper. So when you're naming a company, here's my rules for naming a company. The name must be short, you know, really, um, all of the swag is is really tough with a long name, <laughs> and, and and signage is is better with a short name. And I, and I got and I got to tell you, my first company, my first successful startup was Telephone Express, and everything we did was that was a long name. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The logo, the graphics for a logo just are always this horizontal weird box. It yeah. never works well. You sponsor that's something right. and it's tiny. Yeah, that's th- I never you know I thought about that. That's cool. Okay. And then the second thing is the name has to be easy to spell and hard to misspell. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So Pax 8 is easy yep. to spell, not hard to figure yeah. out and it's hard yeah. and it's hard to misspell it. The, the third reason the, we named it this was the dot-com version of the name is a must in this day and age. Yep. And if you're not, if you, you really don't want to pay a king's ransom to get a dot-com name, and they're tough to get, especially yeah. short ones. So if you add a, a number into the, into the name, they get easier to get at this uh-huh. point. Yeah, yeah. So we, we just paid the standard. I think we paid $300 for five yeah. years of that dot-com, Okay. Um, the next thing is the name really needs to be meaningless, believe it or not. It's really helpful (laughs) because it it will ensure, it will ensure that the worldwide trademark and copyrights will be much easier to obtain if the world word doesn't mean anything. Okay. Um, the fifth reason is X in a name we think is strong and strong is always good. 
So mm -hmm. X just has a nice, strong feel to it. And then um, the number eight, we've, we were thinking, you know, everybody needs to be thinking about Chinese expansion if you're going to go worldwide. And if you don't know this, uh, what's true is eight is the luckiest number in, in Chinese business. Huh. And in fact, we found subsequently to this, I encourage you just to Google the number eight. It's quite a magical number. Huh. And, and, and the Chinese um, have, I think they have good reasons to think of it as a very, very lucky number in business. Hmm. Um, the seventh reason was the name must have the potential to become an active verb. So when you put an ah, X and ah, an A ah. together, it sounds like an active verb. So you, everybody knows Taxate, Xerox yeah. or Google. Yeah. So we could, we, we've always envisioned at some point, we'll just talk, talk about packs, you know, packs eight, your business packs eight. So <laughs> it's, a, and then, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, you know, if all of the above are satisfied, a double entendre, um, is kind of nice. And it turns out PAX, and I didn't even know this going in. People, I was pointed out to me, PAX is peace in Latin. And we wow. think of eight as being lucky. So we think of our logo as being peace and luck. Wow. Well, if you could have both of those things and raise $96 million, peace, luck, and cash, what more could you want? That's a great explanation. And by the way, my whole outline has gone to hell with that. So uh, thank okay. you. That was really interesting. Hey, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast, three years running. I am your host, Dave Tabor, and this is a show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with John Street, CEO of PAX 8. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, First Bank. Really happy to have Gordon Banks. I want a great name for a bank, uh, for a bank guy and all my new friends of First Bank as Proco 360's newest sponsor. Kinsley Meetings, MicroStar Keg Logistics, and Via Technologies. These great companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Also, thanks to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360. So now I don't even know where I am in this outline anymore, but here we go. I, I want to go because you you did explain a little bit, John, about your background. Um, and you know, only a guy with your background, I think, would have had the experience to name a company the way you did. But here's the thing. It, it, it's also really interesting to me because most tech entrepreneurs, it feels like anyway, you know, sort of hit it big in one generation of technology. And you've been a tech entrepreneur since 1987. You changed technology platforms as technology evolves. So, I mean, what's made you so adaptable? Um, I really think um, my background started as a tax CPA, believe it or not. And I'm, I'm one of the lucky guys or one of the few guys, I would say that I'm still kind of living on my sort of life journey that I mapped out for myself as a teenager. Hmm. And what I, I had, a, and I don't even know where this came from, Dave, but I, I wanted to start my own business since I was pretty young. And I thought it would really suit me well, and it has. And so I went off to college and I said I was going to major in business. And in business, you had sort of four areas of concentration back when I was in college, finance, accounting, marketing, or management. Yep. And I, I chose accounting on purpose because I figured the most useful thing I could learn from school was sort of the plumbing of business, which accounting is. And I can tell you early in my career, I just I, I was thinking I really should have specialized in something because I didn't know anything about any business I got uh -huh. into other than how the numbers worked. 
And at the end of the day, I'm truly a math guy around business. You know, I understand how the business and finance stuff, the finance stuff works. And, and it really is important. But along the way, I got good at selling and I got good at marketing and other things. But I think it's transcended from one industry to the next. I mean, start off really in telecom and then yeah. moved into the new burgeoning resale, you know, long distance yeah. resale business. And then got into Internet early because I was so fascinated by it. So really, none of this, like all of your different businesses, they're they're not about the technology as much as they're about your skills at the, at analyzing the numbers, your skills at selling your skills at, at creating product. It's not about the technology. Is that right? Well, it it does have to do the technology, but I started looking at sort of how society embraces the technology and uses the technology. And I learned something about myself along the way, which is, I was so much more happy. The first business was very successful, but it wasn't my vision. It was just being opportunistic. Okay. Yeah. 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 The subsequent businesses I started were much more um, solving the problem. And so the first, the first startup that I did post um, long distance days, we start. we saw the opportunity in internet access, but we studied it differently. And, and we didn't go very far with the internet access business. It was a good adjunct to my telecom business. But the real revolutionary thing we did was we looked at essentially SaaS email. My, my startup USA.net, yeah. we, we were talking about the fact that in that day, in those days, you had to actually pull your mail down. You had to pop your mail to your computer and, and that was the only way you could look at it. And, and we started USANET, and we were the first commercial-based, uh, web-based email system. Uh, so it sounds like what, what jazzes you is like sort of discovering a problem that you can solve before somebody else has it, you know, and, and then make building it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you know, and I will tell you, uh, that's exactly right. I mean, Pax8, I saw, I, I watched how traditional distribution was handling the MSP market, and it needed a refresh, and it could be done so much better. And and really, um, what's really gratifying to me at this point is that, you know, five years ago, we were struggling with this business. It was really Mm -hmm. difficult because people Mm -hmm. didn't really understand the concept. This goes back to your idea that, you know, that we're trying to solve for a problem that people didn't know they had. And I was, I had a few people that were getting it, but all of a sudden in the last two years in particular, everybody sees sort of the wisdom of this. And it's very, you know, I feel very vindicated that we took this approach at this point because now people are saying, wow, this makes so much sense. Yeah. That's got to be so gratifying. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. So now as you think about your life early on managing, you know, transactional businesses versus kind of where you've evolved now solving problems ahead of their time, have you had to change your style of management and leadership over that kind of a period of time as you've adapted? I think I've gotten mellower. I don't think I've changed my style much. And I'll tell you the fundamental of my style is I firmly believe in servant leadership. And this is born of a, of a person who I, I, I tend to be pretty clever 
And I take the Tom Sawyer approach, which I'm going to start painting the fence. And when you walk by, I'm going to convince you it's fun to paint it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, so our whole team, one of the reasons we have such, I, what I believe really, um, um, you know, positive, you know, our culture is so positive and we get voted to be best places to work is because, because of this servant leadership, our leadership does not look at it top down. We look at it bottoms up. We leadership is there to empower the workers. We need to understand what they're doing. Yeah. I I just finished reading um, a book uh, called the motive, why so many leaders abdicate their most important responsibilities by this guru, Patrick Lencioni. I don't know if you've seen that, but his premise, not. yeah, it's in, I wanted to get your take on his presence that he says the best leaders do on, the things that only they can do. And they're committed to doing those things, even though they might not want to. And that, you know, a lot of some people take on a role of CEO because they feel like they've earned it. Now they get to do the things they want to do. But his premise is that being a CEO is actually hard because you've got to do the stuff that no one else can do. Do you see any of that in your life at work? What, what I see is I'm constantly working myself out of the next job. So, <laughs> so I, I look for things that I look for gaps. I, I think, well, we should be working on this. And, and I try to step in and see where that leads us. But what I try to, I look, I, I use an analogy of, of, you know, I'm very into music and, and um, um, I look at the analogy of conducting an orchestra. If you're playing an instrument and you're trying to conduct the orchestra, you're not going to be as effective of a conductor. So when I, when I notice there's a gap or there's something new we should be doing, I jump in there, not necessarily by myself, but I'll take a team to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and um and as soon as as soon as we figure out the rhythm of it or the 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 melody of it, whatever you want to use, um, we, we I then try very quickly to make sure that someone has that area of responsibility. Yeah. So I I want to I want to be able to conduct what's going on, and I constantly tell my senior leadership, you know, try to do less and think more, huh. and try to and try to try to um, you know imagine how you can do this more efficiently. John, I love what you said about sort of as you've moved through your career, become mellower, right? So as you're conducting the orchestra, you know, are you, are you less jumping up and down going crazy or, you know, what does mellower mean in your, in your management style? Really more patient. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, if there's one thing, there's a, there's a couple of really good lessons along the way. I had a great mentor back in the eighties and nineties um, my business partner in the telecom business. And, uh, you know, one of the things he said to me early on was, you know, John, your only problem is you don't know what you don't know. And, and I, as the, the older and smarter and say, let me, I won't say smarter, the older wiser, marks, maybe I I'm wiser than I used to be. I don't think I have as many brain cells, <laughs> but I, I, I got, I, I, you know, the thing that, I learned over the years, and I just think it comes with age, is I go into a situation um, far less confident about what I know than I used to, okay? I, I really go into really, I truly go in with the attitude of learning what other people are thinking. And, 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 and I'm a person all my life that's been pretty sure about what I want and what I want to do, and I think it's worked for me very well. But I've just I've just taken a step back along the way and said, 
you know, I need to go into this and listen. And I remember specifically talking to one of my senior people in, in my MX Logic days. And he told me I didn't want to go to this meeting. And um, he said it was going to be a waste of time. And I said, I bet it will be, except for I go to these meetings because I, I think I'm going to learn one thing. Hmm. And I think I couldn't agree with you. I, I, I couldn't agree with him more. I said, this meeting is probably not worth our time, but maybe, just maybe, we'll learn one thing. And we did. He came out of that meeting and goes, well, I didn't know that. Huh. And I said, I, I find I, I'm a, I, I think one of the things that we do at our company really well is we we target and I think we're doing a good job of hiring people that look at learning as a lifelong endeavor. Okay, you know that's that's a I think back on my one my one time and I think I needed to be a serial entrepreneur because my first stint as founder and CEO I really thought I had to know. I sort of thought I had to know everything. I had to, I was expected to know the answers. And it sounds like you've you've evolved to a point where you're comfortable saying you don't. Yeah, really it's true. I'm I'm uh you know, I I I've also learned to be quiet a lot more too. <laughs> because because when you're listening, you're learning and and when you're talking, you're you're not. Can you think of an so, example recently where you've actually done a better job by not saying anything? I don't know if anything specifically comes to mind right now. It's become so, um, so normal for me to take that. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm fairly outgoing, but I'm a lot more of an introvert than people understand. I mean, I, on the spectrum, I'm slightly, slightly on the, in, on the extroverted side, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, um, in me, I, I I go into a situation and I'm pr- I'm very comfortable at this point not saying anything. Wow! And 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 I think the one thing um, that uh, um, you know I'm really comfortable with is I'm almost I'm almost shy about taking credit for stuff. I don't really I I I really you know, I love all the attention I get. Don't get me wrong, but, but I often find it's just better if I could just melt into the background. Does your team, like, does your team and they're in the room with you and something kind of crazy is coming up and you're just quiet. Do they ever wonder, Hmm, is it safe to say something till John sort of lets us know what he's thinking? I've, I would find it, I, you'll have to ask them, but I don't think they have any fear of speaking their mind around me. We try to make it a very safe environment. Yeah. I think it promotes really good thinking. And, and yeah, I have my disagreements and they'll tell you I can be a pretty testy guy, but I'm much, that's the part that I really mellowed about. Yeah. I, there's, there, it, I have, a, I have a pretty high bar of excellence for the work around, that's being done around me. Yeah. But but I I'm I am very open to ideas and I find I find that I do if I I have why why hire all these smart people if you don't want to listen to them if you want to tell them what to do yeah uh, it makes no sense to me well and I noticed um, at first I want to remind listeners this is Proco three sixty I'm your host Dave Tabor this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado I'm speaking with John Street of Pax Eight go to Proco three sixty dot com to subscribe to the newsletter read my blog and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible and don't forget to rate Proco three sixty in your app when you finish the episode John I noticed and then I want to switch gears but first I noticed you promoted seven executives at once. <laughs> <laughs> 
from within at PAX 8. That must have been quite a day. Um, I didn't really do it. It was what do you it mean? Was, you it, well, I proved it, but it was it was really um, um, we we've grown so much, and it was something that was sort of pent up in that sense. We it, my my um, five of the seven were promoted. We're in the sales division. We've got we've grown so much that we kind of needed another tier in the structure. Mm. So so that was kind of a fix. And then a couple of other people that were promoted are, are very senior. And we, but, but um, you know, it, 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 I don't think it was, uh, it wasn't hard to do. It was fun to do. Yeah. I know? bet it was. I mean, that's gotta be being a best place to work three years in a row. Um, yeah. You know, I got to believe that people, the ability to get promoted and see, see colleagues promoted, that has to be part of it. Well, I, I'll tell you, it, it definitely is. And, and I look at businesses having three legs of success. It's not just financial success, but the two other legs of the stool are, are, are employment success and community success. And, and on the community success side, everything is contingent upon having financial success. But if you stop there, you haven't really, to me, you haven't really created a successful organization. You yeah. need community success. You need employment success. And what I mean by employment success, community success is we're very, I, I, we let our people do, we encourage them to do things in the community and to bring that to us and if we can't help. And as we become more financially successful, we can contribute, you know, money, but we let people contribute time because I find that they're more motivated at work if they can take some of their time and devote it to their own passion. But on, commu on employment success, what I mean by that is, you know, I want everybody that works for PAX 8 whether they stay or, or go, if they go, I want them to think, boy, that was good for my career to spend a stint at PAX 8. And I, it, this isn't just out of the, you know, out of the kindness of my heart, we do this. You, if you have good, if you have good employment success, there's a good chance that the employees that work for me, they're still going to be in my industry and they they will become customers. They'll become yeah. advocates of our company. And I learned that long, long ago. My first job out of college was at Arthur Anderson, a big CPA firm, which is no longer with us. Oh, but, yeah, but, but, but accounts but, but graduate they, to the, yeah. They become CFOs of the clients. Yeah. And yeah. It, it made all the sense in the world. And I chose that job because they were known in the industry at that time as, as having the most extensive training for their staff. And I went to that job to learn how to look at business and to see lots of examples of business. And it was terrific. It was terrific training for what I'm still doing today. Our business is a, is a service experience for the MSPs. It's, it's like nothing else in, the, in our industry. And if we're gonna be a service oriented company, um, we need to have very, very trained people and happy people. The other yeah. adage that we always, that I always espouse is it isn't the customer who comes first. It's the employee comes first, because when you have happy employees, the customer experience is terrific. Yeah. There's no contrived, Hey, I got to be nice in front of the customer. There's, you don't have to force that. It happens naturally because people are happy at their job. Well, I, I would think that translates into this whole philosophy and uh, of of being the customer's wingman. I mean, it the is. Idea, That's yeah. exactly right. 
the MSP deals with the end user. We deal with the MSP. And so when they sell through us, we add a constant value add because they really don't have to deal with that part of the channel at all. And the small business customer really needs that support. That's amazing. So from both sides, you're providing a monthly subscription paid service uh, at both ends. And so that's tremendous. Hey, you know, as a tech company, and by the way, raising 96 million, that wasn't your first round, I'm sure. But, you know, so, so keeping focus too on the theme of the Proco 360 podcast, world-class entrepreneurs who choose Colorado. I mean, big tech companies, a company like Pax8 would generally typically almost always be located in Silicon Valley. You started in Denver. Is that just because you live here or, you know, could you have been more successful faster in the Bay? I could have, but I'm, I, I'm one of the few here. I'm a Denver native. Okay. Ah. So I, Denver chose me before I had anything to do with it. And, and, and in fact, years ago, Dave, as you know, I moved to Colorado Springs and I, I will tell you, I started two of my businesses in Colorado Springs, and that was an even tougher sell. So the last mm-hmm. two businesses I've had, I, I moved them to Denver, and I've had a foot in both worlds for for all of my adult life. I mean, I I've lived now in the, in Colorado Springs longer than I've lived anywhere. I've lived here now um, thirty. I'm going to say almost. I, I've lived here now thirty five years. Okay, I moved here in eighty six. So I'm I'm. Um, uh, but I but I live on the north end of town. I live in, in the Monument area, and it's a short commute to Denver. And I realize from a, a national financing perspective, now you know Denver's an easier place to raise money than Colorado Springs. Well, sure. And and Denver's only become sort of uh, an okay place to raise money nationally in the last fifteen years. I can tell you back in the nineties, it was thought as an, it was really thought as an outlier, but yeah. now it's become quite the hub and it's very, yeah, but I'm I mean, very happy for that. Well, that is, it is good. But I mean, it, I guess when you say you could have been more successful, more, well, at least more quickly based in San Francisco or Silicon Valley somewhere, any way to quantify what you've given up or nothing well, at some point? Actually, I, I should, I should qualify that. I could have probably been more financially successful, but you know, life is more than just making a lot of money. And I, early on in my USA net days, USA net was the first company I promoted. And I had several people say, why don't you move that company to Silicon Valley? You'll get funded for sure. Cause I, I was struggling to fund it. And I remember saying to one guy, I said, why would I move to Silicon Valley? I, I, I'm perfectly happy in Colorado. It's a great place to be. And, and the one thing about, you know, I'll say this about Silicon Valley. It it has nothing on Colorado when it comes to talent at the highest levels. But but you scratch three or four layers deep and it's got more depth of talent there. But top line talent, you know, is pretty strong in both markets and always has been, you know. And, and I was told then that, you know, Colorado is a lifestyle place. You know, people are always looking to get out. I said, you may think that. But I'd put my productivity up against yours all day long because you can burn your people out and you can do things. But but the fact is, people seem to have a better work life balance here. I've always thought. Yeah. And and I'm I'm a very happy camper in Colorado. Yeah. I've I've got an ideal life at this point. I always was happy here. I've always felt so connected to all the people here because I'm a native. 
Yeah. You know? That's great. I'm a, yeah. I'm a diehard Broncos fan. I, uh, I'm going to have to stay in Denver. <laughs> well, good. I, I hope, hope that pays off one of these days. Uh, you know, you, uh, yeah. you mentioned talking. I'm about- happy to be a little less rich and live in, in my, you know, where I belong. That's how uh, I feel about that. That's cool. Um, my last question for you has to do with, you know, I know you started as a tax accountant, but then you took a break to join the Peace Corps. What'd yeah. you do? I was a business advisor to an agricultural co-op. And as part of it, I also um, started working with the relate with the Associated Bank. It was a rural bank. And um, it was, Where a, was this? It was a, this was in the Philippines. Hmm. And it truly was, a, it was a failed initiative within the Peace Corps. Because we were, I was, you know, we were supposed to be business advisors to these agricultural co-ops. And the first thing I discovered when I got put out in the field is they were actually selling at negative gross margins. And of course, the right thing to do as a business advisor, if if uh, you're advising a business that's selling at negative gross margins, would be maybe you should go into a different business. Okay, and certainly <laughs> that was your price. Yeah, yeah, and it was just the market condition. There, they were literally selling above. They were selling at below their cost because wow. the market was forcing <laughs> them there. Okay, so along yeah, along the way, did you? I mean, you were in a lesser developed country. You were yeah. uh, a single guy doing that out of the goodness of your heart. You volunteered. I mean, did you, did you bring any perspectives other than that? Yeah, that was a screwed up kind of a initiative, but did you bring other perspectives back that have stayed with you? Yes, totally. I think it's totally shaped my career and my life because I will tell you um, until I went to the Peace Corps, um, I think I find, you know, I, I was an empathetic person. I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm empathetic by nature, but there's a difference in sort of intellectually empathetic and truly empathetic, okay? And I think I learned true empathy there because I was thrust into an environment. I was there all, in, in my community, there's about 200,000 people there. And, you know, everybody would, I, I you know, I everybody knew who I was because, I was the only white boy in this, you know, Asian community. And, and, um, and they had such a different perspective in life. And I really got sort of assimilated to the culture. And I really started, I started to begin to understand how they thought. I did, I, it was so alien to me at the beginning, but I began to see life from their perspective. And it was, it's always given me great perspective to try to, try to think really completely around an issue that to try to see it from a point of view that others just simply would never see. I would never classify myself as a quitter, but I left early and, and I learned a lot about that too. Cause I really, I, I felt like, um, um, you know, you, at some point, you can't really make things happen. And, and, and what, what do you really realize? I went over there sort of starry eyed, I'm going to help change the world and the world changed me. And that was so much better. You know, that's the part that I was really happy about. I, it was, it, it wasn't obvious at the beginning, but it, it really was, you learn that culture is bigger than you are and you can, you, you can, you can kind of, you know, accept that and, and blend in and, and gain this empathy. And, and, it, and I think it, it really was, 
it helped to mature me as as a young man and and it was a very valuable experience and i've never regretted having that experience although in some ways i failed because i didn't complete the two years yeah. but i yeah. you know i i but it it was i would wouldn't change anything for it, it was really a great experience wow well so last thing i mean do you it sounds almost as if some of that you've been able to reflect back on that differently now in your stage of life and your stage of leadership than maybe you fully appreciated then? Well, I, I would say it's not just recently I felt that, but I, I can tell you here, here's the one thing I'm sure of. And this is anything I, I, I'm, ab- I'm absolutely sure that at the end of life, only one thing's really matters. And, and it's really kind of the quality of the stories and, and, and what it made me was very Zen about having things that weren't good experiences, understanding that it turns into a really interesting, you know, little fact of life that you get into. And, and so I have pretty interesting stories along the way. <laughs> and so and, and while you, the hardest thing that I had to deal with in the Peace Corps was boredom and boredom creates lots of, you know, creates lots of issues. Okay. Um, you know, we all try to keep busy. I think that if you stay busy as a person, you stay engaged, it's, it creates a happier life. And in the Peace Corps, it was crushing boredom because as Americans, you have no idea how much stimulus we have. I'm living in a small town with no TV, intermittent electricity, no telecom, you know, and, and, eating the same thing every day. It's kind of like being locked down in COVID, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, 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 uh, and you, you, you start to realize I read in the, in the 14 months that I was there, I read 50 novels. Okay. Wow. Wow. And I, 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 you know, I read a ton and, and I would get, I would go up to the big city nearby, you know, once a month and it was a big, it was a big adventure. Yeah. And I traveled some in the country. I started doing some other things, but, but I realized how important it is to stay engaged and stay busy um, because the hardest part about the Peace Corps and, and, and I don't, when I look back on it, I think of it fondly, but while I was in the middle of it, it was pretty crushing, crushingly boring. Wow. There wasn't much to do. <laughs> and I'm well, trying to work at a yeah. job where my job really isn't a job. Oh, man. Well, yeah. it sounds like that's not your problem now. Um, let's wrap up. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with John Street, CEO of PAX 8. John, it's been fun catching up. Absolutely, Dave. Good to see you. Likewise. And listeners, thanks for joining me on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests like John Street can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to show sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Microstar Keg Logistics, Via Technologies, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. 